Look, the situation is that apparently a great white shark has staked a claim in the waters off Amity Island. And he is going to continue to feed here as long as there is food in the water. Look, we depend on the summer people here for our very lives. You are not going and to have a summer unless you beaches, beaches, we're, finished. we're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. I mean, we're going to have to tell the Coast Guard. That's it. Goodbye. I'm not going to waste my time arguing with a man who's lining up to be a hot lunch. I'm going to see you later. Please don't do this. Mr. Vaughn, what we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. It's really a miracle of evolution. All this machine does is swim and eat and make little sharks. And that's all. Larry, Larry, if we make an effort today, oh, we might man. be able to save August. August? <laughs> for Christ's sake, tomorrow's the 4th of July, and we will be open for business. It's going to be one of the best summers we've ever had. Now, if you fellas are concerned about the beaches, you do whatever you have to to make them safe. But those beaches will be open for this weekend. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 94. We are here every single week talking to you about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. And having that conversation with you typically is myself, Reed Lackey, and usually with me is one Mr. Nathan Rouse, but he had a big family beach trip and I just haven't heard from him in a little while and I'm not quite sure exactly what happened. He did text me something that I, it was a somewhat cryptic. He just texted, oh no, I'm going to need a bigger, and he didn't tell me what it was, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I, I'm going to need a bigger house, I'm going to need a bigger car, I'm going to need, um, you know, a bigger mouth, I don't, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really know exactly what he was talking about, he just said, I'm going to need a bigger, and that's the last I've heard from him for like, you know, a couple of weeks, so a um, little nervous about that, but we'll, we'll press on. So if you're here with us for the first time, uh, then welcome. Uh, what we'd like you to do is go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Go and subscribe to us on the podcast app of your choice. Uh, we would love to hear from you, and you can come join the Facebook group. There's all kinds of fun things to do. So if you're here, we would love for you to come and subscribe. Uh, wait a minute. What is... Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling uh, a bit anxious about something. I'm not quite sure... Exactly. What? What is going on? Oh, no! Reed! Oh, God, Reed! Oh, no! There you are! There you are! I barely, oh. I barely made it. Oh, my gosh. I lost, I lost a leg, but I'm here. Oh, my gosh. You lost more than a leg. Where's the lower half of your body? What happened? Oh, my God! Oh, no! Oh, no. <laughs> 
This is like the poorest sound design <laughs> theater of the mind <laughs> in the world. Like, we're trying to create oh, the illusion. Funny. I love how we're just casually no. trying to create the illusion for the viewers and for the listeners <laughs> that your body has been severed in half. I know. Yet, I was just rolling with yet, it. Yet, to me, still. it was just a leg, and then you reminded me, no, no, it's my whole half of my lower body. But regardless of how incapacitated you are, still, priorities. <laughs> you showed up for the show. You, sh- you I got did, brother. I did, brother. I may not last long. I may not last far into the conversation because I've lost a lot of blood. That's right. And, uh, you know, but I'm here. I survived. <laughs> I survived. I survived my family beat trip oh to Amity. Amity. Oh. They say, you know, Amity Reed, as, as you know, it does mean friendship. And that's, sort of, you know, that's that's kind of what we're what we do here. Yeah. We're going to change our name to the Amity of God. <laughs> Okay. No, it's, that doesn't sure. roll. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, yeah. It's kind of like a... <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know what, all that means. what episode but, number hi, is this, Reed? This is episode number 94. So we are, of Whoa! course, staring down the barrel of episode 100. And listeners, uh, if you've been listening to us for the last few weeks, then you know what that means. So cue the music. For another round of the Fear of God Monster Mash! I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> um, okay, so, all right, so as you've great. been listening that to us, great. we've been having, uh, you know, a lo- lots and lots of fun with our Monster Mash. Uh, Nathan, why don't you, we're, we're ready with some results for the categories of monsters and humans, why don't you go ahead and take us away on who won in the Titanic pairings of the monsters? Why don't you go ahead and let us know? Well, for the monsters, Riri, they are monstrous and they are monsters. Oh, <laughs> and the, <laughs> the first pairing, the first pairing of the 2018 Fear of God podcast Monster Mash. Who knows if there will be one in 2019 because we're kind of covering all of the monsters this time. So we'll figure out something for next time. Different. <laughs> wow. The monster category. The first fight is between the acid blooded, acid saliva xenomorph versus he does drink. Wine, Dracula, and between Reed, the Xenomorph and Dracula. Please be Dracula. The winner is the Xenomorph. Oh, defeated! In the squared circle, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> All right. Next up in the monsters category is one Godzilla. Ooh. Versus. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Let's stop. Godzilla versus the Thing. The winner is the Thing. Oh, oh no! Wow. Sidebar: I'm really worried the Thing is going to win the entire 
competition because it just <laughs> absorbs and morphs, you know, just kind of like assimilates sure. everything. I love how you, you know, almost but, said, I think the thing is going to win the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So the thing versus Godzilla, the thing is victorious. Mm. And next in our category of monsters, uh, this is kind of an unfortunate category based on who wins and the content of the episode we're doing today. Nonetheless, it is the Predator versus Jaws. That Predator is riding Jaws around, slaughtering people in Amity, and once he's done with all the people, he takes that Wolverine wannabe claws and just jams it right into Bruce's skull, and that's it for Bruce. The Predator wins! Oh my gosh! I'm surprised. Oh! That's, wow, that's intense. Wow. I mean, that's... that's of all the fights, that one's pretty... I mean, you know, Jaws has, like, land working against him. But overall, that's a pretty cool fight. I love... Vision. Oh, I want to see that fight so bad. Next up, last in the monsters category, this final pairing. It is getting down to the wire, Riri. After this winner, we will only have four monsters left. Moving on to the next round. In the final, final uh, 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 entry, final fight in the monsters category is... The Terminator. Now, is it 1970-whatever Arnold Terminator? Is it 2015 Genesis Terminator? I don't know. It's just the Terminator versus Krampus. The Terminator wins! Which is exciting to me because I've never seen Krampus and have no association with that character, so I'm mildly interested, more interested in the Terminator winning, and he did! (laughs) You know what's awesome about that? Sidebar for myself. What's awesome about that is that with Predator winning the Jaws-Predator mashup and Terminator winning the other, we've got like two versions of Arnold Schwarzenegger films going up against each other next week. And that really excites me. That really excites me very, very much. I mean, moving into the the penultimate, or maybe that's... Okay, so there's four after this. That means there's two after that. <laughs> One left. Oh. Uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on to the next round is the Xenomorph, the Thing, the Predator, and the Terminator. Lots of thes in the next round. That's very true. That's very Lots true. Lots of thes. So that's the monsters, Reed. That's the monsters. What do you have for us this episode in terms of these? Now, I guess, do I list who's fighting next week? Well, you just did. Just... The Xenomorph versus the Thing and yep. the Predator versus the Terminator? That's exactly what it is. Yep, exactly. I, I don't want the Thing to win. I don't know that it will. I don't. Know I know, but I'm just saying, like, as a biological entity, its abilities kind of sublimate all the things it's going against. Now, I don't know. Does it try to uh, uh, assimilate the Xenomorph and the Xenomorph's blood or acid blood saliva melt it. I don't know. Maybe. It's an interesting it's an interesting thing to ponder. That's right. I'm going to be I mean, spending all week wondering what happens. Our listeners get to decide. And if it does happen to vanquish the xenomorph, it's got to go up it's got to go up against either predator, which I mean, who knows what alien, you know, what the predator is capable of doing, or it'll go up against the terminator, oh, which is a machine. Some, somebody knows. Yeah. yeah well, a, right. Yeah, so I mean I think knows? I think this is all right, this is my I'm calling it. Okay. I think of those four, the one most capable against the thing would be the xenomorph. Don't don't really oh, ask me right, to explain right. why. It's just kind of an intuition. It's a gut feeling. I think if the xenomorph does not win against the thing, I think the thing is going to go all the way. 
Oh, man, that's crazy. Okay, all right, we'll see what happens. Listeners, you that's my, get to decide. Uh, that's my, I'm going to place my bets. All right. I encourage the rest of you do two, two as well. All right. I'll send you my Venmo information so you can send me your money. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so next up, we have got the category of humans. And so the humans... Uh, hey, man, Reed, are, some... are they humans or are they dancers? They're dancers. They're dancers. Well... <laughs> Either way, are they humans or are they dancers? They're definitely killers. Oh! All right. Zing. (laughs) Zing, zing, zing. Okay, so first up, we have the ever-hungry, ever-dreaded Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter going up against the caretaker who's always been there, Mr. Jack Torrance, in a bit of a surprise to me because he had an early lead. Um, Jack Torrance lost to Hannibal Lecter. So, Hannibal Whoa, Lecter emerges Popsicle victorious. Jack. Yes. Uh, and actually, quite a few of these were surprising to me. But next up, we have the number one fan, Miss Annie Wilkes, going up against the Zodiac Killer from Zodiac. This was a big surprise to me. But Annie Wilkes was not enough for the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac oh. Killer overpowered Annie Wilkes. So next week, Hannibal Lecter will be facing off That's against the Zodiac Killer. Oh, man. So then... Wow. Um, in this the, is getting ugly. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. It's, I didn't, it's crazy. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have such a visceral reaction the further we get in this. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, not happy. Why did we do this? Losses. I don't understand. Right. Um, That's a bunch uh, of cock-a-duty. <laughs> well, up next is uh, one Miss Carrie White going up against the dreaded... Yeah, going up against the dreaded strangers <laughs> in a landslide victory. They're all going to laugh at you, Carrie. <laughs> well, not yet, because in a landslide victory, Carrie got the better of the yeah! strangers. So Carrie, Carrie White. is victorious. She's going to take it. Carrie wins. That's, okay. So, is, okay. There, is that it? There's one more, Nope, right? there's one more. So in the final battle for the humans, uh, Damien from The Omen took on Jack the Ripper. And once again, in not quite a landslide, but pretty definitive victory, Damien emerges as the winner. So, that means next week, our battles for the semifinals are going to be Hannibal Lecter versus the Zodiac Killer and Carrie White versus Damien from The Omen. I really want like, Damien, he's got a little bit of an edge, because is he in the movie the literal devil's baby, devil's child? Uh, You'd have to see the movie. I'm, no, I'm asking. He's a human, so there it is an element of the plot of is he or isn't he. And since you have not seen, oh, the movie, okay, I am fine, not fine, fine, whatever. So. Um, <clears throat> but it helps me know how to place my bets. Ah, I see. Um, you know, as the potential uh, progeny of the Lord of Darkness, that gives him a mild edge. I am that, notwithstanding, if he's not, if he's just a kid. I'm, my vote, my vote's on Carrie to take it all the way in this category. I kind of, I kind of want Carrie to win this. Like, I, That'd be at first, awesome. I was it like, would, I didn't. It would know. feel right. You saw that movie. You saw That's what happened right. to poor Carrie White. Right. It would feel, it would feel right. That's right for her to take it all. Yeah, I would love. It's, it's like she, she, she could not form. A, she could not officially be prom queen, but she could be oh more monster of all humans. <laughs> She's <laughs> gonna be the ultimate human champion. Well, we'll see. Right. We'll see how the listeners feel about it. So, um, listeners. That is this week's round of the Fear of God Monster Mash. Tune in next week uh, to learn the results of the slashers and the spirits. Just a tease.
There you go. Yeah, yeah. I am officially teased. Um, <laughs> and so, Reed, we, we will get to our normal segment, but, uh, you know, coming on the heels of the Monster Mash uh, rundown, I feel like it is worth going ahead and just sort of just getting out in front of it, Riri. Okay. Riri, we are starting a new series today that I am very excited for. I don't know if you are very excited for it, but... Uh, oh, I'm extremely excited. It is, it, is, um, <clears throat> it is quite relative to what we just discussed. We are, in fact, it felt appropriate uh, as we wrapped up our our uh, uh, Hitchcock block double bagger. Uh, <laughs> and as we, as, as we wrap towards episode 100, said. I, I know, I, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about um, <laughs> to, to kind of fill the gap between there and here with uh, uh, a six episode series that we are appropriately and affectionately dubbing the monster mash. It starts this week dun, dun, with dun. Steven Spielberg's, Jaws, which feels very appropriate dun, dun. based on the rundown we just did. But before we get there, Riri, I just got to know what you're watching, <laughs> what you're reading, <laughs> what are you listening to? Hey! <laughs> wow. <laughs> People listening in their cars were just like, oh my God, and turned it down real quick. <laughs> just happened. Um, okay, so um, so what I've been listening to, I actually, it's, it's purely coincidental that this is the episode that I am talking about this. Uh, in fact, I debated about not mentioning what I'm listening to uh, because it feels so timely and coincidental and feels like it's kind of pigeonholed in. But it's true and it's authentic, so I'm going ahead. As we ha- as we are recording this, um, a new uh, limited podcast series has launched onto all of the interwebs. Originally, and I think I have mentioned this on pod before, there was uh, Inside Psycho. And there was right. another series called Inside the Exorcist, both of, both of which I loved and both of which I highly recommend. Um, we knew that a new series, I think I even said there's going to be a new series coming sometime in June or July. Um, and sure enough, they announced that series and that series was none other than Inside Jaws. So what I wow. have been. You've been you've been holding out on me. You're about to be, you're about to like drop a knowledge bomb on us. And I'm like, oh, Reed didn't even tell me he's listening to Inside Jaws. That would have been helpful information to uh, <laughs> consume myself. Well, there, anyway, you should absolutely check it out because I, I highly recommend it. But as of this recording, there's only the first three of seven episodes dropped. So, um, gotcha. And so far, there is very little. I mean, being candid, so far there's very little conversation within the episodes about Jaws the film. It's very focused on the rise and early career of Steven Spielberg, basically the person of Steven Spielberg, and um, and in that way, it's very interesting. It's very fascinating. Um, the guy who creates these, I think I mentioned with Inside Psycho and Inside The Exorcist, that he's got a great knack for basically creating a kind of film. Uh, fictional narrative documentary with factual information, but um, he, he creates dramatized scenes and uh, it's an incredible sound design. It's really a compelling and fun listen, uh, each of those series. And so far, three episodes into Inside Jaws, it's very, very good. So yeah, so listeners, uh, I mean, there's there's all kinds of conversations about Jaws going on. Our uh, Another podcast about horror films called Gut Reactions has done recently done an episode of about Jaws. Uh, everybody's talking about Jaws. Jaws, 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 Jaws. Um, so, but, um, but yes, if you, if you're interested, please go and listen to, uh, inside jaws. It's, it's very, very fun. Very good. Well, I'm actually, I I could, there's a couple options I could, 
dive on here right now. Uh, but dive on, dive into, dive on, dive it, um, dive s. Sure, whatever, whatever. Um, <clears throat> not going to do that. Um, <laughs> I am going to tweak the title of our segment a little bit. Instead of what you're watching, reading, listening to, it's going to be a bit of what you're playing. Um, so, Reed, I just the other day, um, I, it's it's slipped through my my consumer grasp last year. Uh, but there was a re-release of the NES Classic that just came out, and I made sure that so I was at a Best Buy at 10 o'clock on June 29th to pick it up. So I did that. Wow. And even driving on the way home, looking at the back of the box, because part of me purchased it for the pure kind of like, you know, kind of nostalgia thing. But then I, because I hadn't looked at the rundown, it's got 30 games preloaded on it. I hadn't looked at the rundown in a while. And even just looking at the back of the box, I was like, oh my gosh, this is literally like my childhood in a box. Um, wow. Now, I don't know that, I know you and I as college chums and there shortly thereafter, you know, played N64 uh, wrestling games that you were, you were, you were, no, listen. You're, the, you're great. At, you're great. You're great. Let me tell you. Let, no, listeners. <laughs> no, no, no. You wait. You wait. So, so, you, so you're good at video games. There's no denying it. You're good at this. I'm not as great as you at video games. So when we would wrestle, I would be trying my hardest. Wrestle like on the video game. I would be trying my hardest to get my figure to do what I needed him to do. And I would get frustrated. But I realized like, okay, Nathan's better at this than I am. No problem. Whatever. But when it started to really frustrate me is when suddenly out of nowhere, you would look at my character and be like, oh, that's new. I didn't know I could do that. And then like you're just... So, like, I might as well be the computer at that point. I might as well just be the practice test dummy. Set Ugh. set to easy. Oh, my gosh. It was awful. Yeah, set to easy, you jerk. I'm a human being with I really, I really was not meaning for that to be the main event here. Um, Tell me about your stupid game, Nathan. <laughs> but in all seriousness, one, as a sidebar here, as, as a little tangent... I mean, you and I and Mario Kart is like oh, 20 years strong now. Absolutely. So, oh, the Mario so, Kart. So, you know, cut yourself a little slack on the wrestling <laughs> games. You you were not good at them, and that's okay. Um, I can hold my own but, on Mario Kart. Though. I can hold you my can, own. You yeah. can. You can. Um, uh, we had a especially good time back in, I think it was the fall or winter. You were here. We took the Switch to a bar and played Mario Kart like awesome. old dudes who were born and raised in the eighties. Um, <laughs> that, that said, I am curious now, did you, what I, uh, five minutes ago <laughs> before you regaled everyone with hey. my, my victorious parade. Hashtag uh, never forget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> Did you grow up playing Nintendo or video oh, games? Oh, absolutely I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, specifically okay. NES. So, I, I mean, I have I have so much that I want to ask you about the system that you just bought. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like NES was kind of my primary system. I didn't have like every new video game system that came out. The three that sure. were sort of primary for me was uh, when I got the NES. Um, and then when the Sega Genesis came out, I got the Sega Genesis. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, I mean, I, I skipped a couple of major releases after that time. I think my next major video game system was the PlayStation 2 might have been so okay. a large right. gap between the Sega Genesis and the sure, PlayStation sure. 2 but yep those were my three um, main systems well it's funny so with the NES Classic I mean partly it's it really is just like 
it's got a save feature so you can uh, you know what you couldn't do 30 years ago you can do now which is hey i'm gonna play for 20 minutes and wherever i stop i can just sort of save it yeah, you know yeah. and kind of come come out of that spot so so it is kind of fun for just a little 15 20 minute you know uh, uh get your fix kind of experience that said part of what why i bought it is i kind of want my kids to play video games some not because i want them to be brain dead couch sure, potatoes no, but yeah, yeah. you know just <clears throat> just for that kind of uh, communal experience and they just they uh, my middle child has gotten into the switch a little bit with uh, some Mario Kart. She likes to dabble in some of the other games, but but games currently are so complex and so complicated. They've oh. just never really plugged plugged in hard. They stress me. So out. part of part of the classic purchase was okay. These games are so simplistic in their mechanisms. You know, there's Mario One, Two, Three is on there. They've been playing those a good bit. Galaga is on there. Oh my gosh! Um, is Ninja Gaiden, Castlevania one and two? Oh, Castlevania is on there too. Um, oh yeah. You know what's funny about that? Real quick, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I actually was playing Castlevania the first one today, and I was like, you know what? I wonder if this was my gateway into kind of horror stuff. And I thought about you, and I thought about us. Oh wow! Because uh, I loved. Oh okay, yeah. Because those like one I liked, but Castlevania two, which is Simon's Quest, if you're familiar with that, I loved. Mm, where okay. you're like, I don't, I don't know if you remember this game, but you're like piecing Dracula together to finally vanquish him or something. It's like it's Ooh, no, I didn't remember this. that. I didn't play that. Yeah, one yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, I mean, it's just been really fun. Though, what is really funny and asterisk here, and actually humorously as it relates to the fear of God, Punch Out is on there, not oh, with Mike Tyson, but Punch but Out is Mr. on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. With Mr. Dream, done. Um, I'm adding it to my Amazon wish. I was gonna. Add, that was what I was gonna ask you. The thought that you interrupted, you read that's my mind, hilarious. and that's what I did. That that's, that's what, what I did. Yes, yeah, because yep. that is exactly what I was gonna ask. Because I was gonna ask the big, most important thing that would push me to the edge of I need to own this is is Punch Out on it, and that okay, it is done. Although what's what's funny about buying it with my kids in mind, and I say this with the absolute and utmost love for my children, but they suck. They <laughs> suck at these games. Like it's really bad. It's amazing. I was telling no, my no, wife, no, no, I'm no, like, Nathan, don't. they don't. They're just trying very hard, and you're very good at it. So you not <laughs> you need. <laughs> trying very very hard. <laughs> we don't suck at these games, Nathan. Trying very hard. That is hysterical, <laughs> and what a wonderful dovetail to that story. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't really add to that. So that is what I have been doing. Okay, what you're watching, reading, listening to, doing. Okay, all right. Uh, I've been so, ladies and gentlemen, re- re- revisiting, revisiting my childhood. However, oh. as a fun, as a fun note on this episode, uh-huh. it, this is not on the classic, but the Jaws. NES game was hard as hell. Did oh, you ever play that game? I did play it, and it was incredibly difficult. Were you the little and diver, you, and then a, suddenly he yeah. just comes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and then if you get far enough, you've got the prow of the ship you're trying to stab him mm-hmm. with. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't that think so I ever hard. made it that far, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. It is you. You. <laughs> <laughs> that is not <laughs> 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 You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna you end just, this episode and we'll go play getting, my game just, right now. <laughs> I'm gonna make it in the wrestling just, game that I've got. I'm gonna make a little Nathan Rouse figure. I'm gonna set it to easy, and I'm gonna kick your. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> take us out! Oh my Reed, gosh! Please. So oh that was gosh. an episode of. What you? What you?
<laughs> what you? What you? What you? What you? What you? What you watching, reading, listening to? <laughs> wow! Oh wow! We are we are bonkers! Oh my god! Um, so yeah, there we go. <laughs> I love how you did Zareen. not know what I was doing for the first. You were like, "Did it freeze again? What happened?" <laughs> no, I figured that was what you're doing, but then I did wonder did it oh. freeze. Um. We're having mild technical difficulties tonight, folks, but we are bringing it to you because it matters to you and it matters to us that it matters to you. And we're going to make this happen. Read. So it is episode one of the formal official hashtag monster match. Dun, dun. Um, yeah. So we are <clears throat> we figured we'd start with a bang, even though he just got taken out by the predator, oh. which kind which is a little disheartening, but whatever. I honestly um, don't know who I was it, pulling it, you know, for. It, 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 to be honest with you, not to digress us back to Monster Mash, but I honestly don't know who I was pulling for. I love both of those characters. I love both those monsters, those icons, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think bef- I actually, I actually um, rewatched Predator recently for, you know, who knows why. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, and, and before the rewatch, I would have put all of my money on Jaws. After the rewatch, I would, I do have a bit more affection mm. for that man, that mandible monster. Ah, yes. Uh, known, known as the Predator. Um, but regardless, hashtag Monster Mash begins right now. Let's sink our teeth into the bloody mess that is the movie mm. Jaws. So it is worth mentioning. You made a joke at the top of the episode. So if you've, if you've been with the, with us long, uh, one, this would easily, mm, I can't remember precisely where this would have come up, but possibly on the it episode okay. with the body and the blood boys. Um, so I had seen jaws before probably more than once, but it had been quite some time. I mean, maybe 15 years or so. And watching this movie in my bed with the lights off, with my headphones on, you know, my wife is asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I am two weeks from our annual family beach trip. By the time this airs, <laughs> I will be there and possibly eat. Oh my gosh. Um, and dude, this movie is, is like the tip of the spear for Nathan's most nightmare scenario. And in fact, that opening scene, oh my if gosh. I were a nude young woman out on the water and that, scene is my living nightmare like watching that scene i was like this is it this is everything that scares me in the world right here maybe wait let me refigure that one We're going to make it through this episode. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going gonna to try. Just just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Um, <laughs> but what happens to her is everything yeah. that is absolutely terrifying in the world to me. It is dark. She is alone. She is out in the oh, ocean. It's horrifying. it's horrifying. And she gets mauled by a, a rogue giant great white shark. Um Whew. I experience, I will, we'll get to specifics, but I had so much anxiety watching this movie mm-hmm. this time around. May, honestly, mainly in the first hour, the second hour that kind of pivots a bit more into a, you know, that sort of as it's come to be recognized as that blockbuster kind of storytelling. But that first hour that's more kind of human centered, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. real world, like I watch those scenes and think, 
yeah, this is real. This sure. happened. Yeah. You know, anyway, I'm, I'm talking a bit, uh, but I, I'm excited to talk about Jaws yeah, and too. let's sink our teeth. Into yeah, this. me too. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, part of me when we cover this, like I felt when we covered Alien, like I felt when we covered The Exorcist, much as I love that film, it's like so much has been said and specifically praised about this film over time. It's difficult to kind of know, OK, what, you know. What can we possibly add to it that hasn't already been said? And hopefully we'll, you know, hopefully we'll do just that. But I do think there's so much that you could praise about this film. I cannot recall the very first time that I saw it, but I know I've seen it several times. Um, it just kind of periodically hits my sphere and like, oh, it's been a few years. I haven't watched that. Let's, you know, I'd like to revisit that. I think since my last viewing, it's been maybe four or five years since I'd seen it. But each time I see it, I gain a new appreciation for it. This is... It's a ridiculous film, and what I mean by that is not in to say that it, there's any detriment to it. It's just it's just kind of insane how well everything works. I mean, it's it's when I think about it, I'm like, there's almost nothing, almost nothing that I could ding this film for, from technical elements to performances to I mean, just ev- so many elements of it just work so fluidly well together it's one of the most effective thrillers uh, in the history of cinema and so it's i mean it's really kind of stunning which is which is fascinating because listeners if you've never done this or if you've you know have an interest in some of this these kind of true hollywood stories type tales go read the wikipedia page it is riddled with just like the 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 production process for this film was just beset with problems crazy. kind of from go however the one one statement that may make you want to hang up the mic right now relaxy is do you know how old spielberg was when he shot oh, this no how much how old just, was he just guess was he 22 uh you're undershooting a little bit there but 26 he was 26, 26 years old oh my gosh when he made what has become one of the most seminal movies in cinema history that's crazy 20, 26 and it's interesting I, i'll i'll flurry a few of these little factoids that were fun to me but like uh, apparently, and, and he even looks, he even in conversation looks, looking back has said he pushed harder than he probably should have for his, he, he kind of let his inexperience get the better of him. Uh-huh. Part of the reason the production process was so hard was he insisted on, on location stuff oh. that just like, like just destroyed so much of the, like, you know, the, the, the ability to, from a production standpoint, make it all work well sure. together, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so a lot of that kind of stuff, F- interesting things like, I, I didn't actually write any of them down, but a lot of interesting, almost cast castings, mm. uh, Spielberg wanted, and this will make sense. He wanted non like superstars, you know, cause it kind of sure. d- yeah. dimin- diminished some of the, this could happen to you kind of feel to it. But interestingly with Richard Dreyfus, he initially turned it down. Oh, well, then whatever the film was before this that he did, it had an interesting title to it that I can't recall at the moment. But he got so worried that the movie was going to bomb and his career was basically going to be over oh. that he called he called back and, and took and, you know, kind wow, of requested again to to be considered for the role. That's um, wow. But just a lot of different stuff about the scripting and, you know, just sort of a really beleaguered script process and. Um, apparently, um, Robert Shaw was a, a rather strong personality. And in fact, he would leave set to go to Canada because of something with the law. 
he was trying to he was trying to Robert maintain Shaw? a low profile. Yeah. Wow. He was trying to maintain a low profile because of I don't know. I don't I don't know what it was, but he would go to Canada. Like Oh my gosh. Dur- during the shooting process. Wow. Anyway, just a really fascinating um fascinating production process. A lot more ad libs than you might expect for a movie that's Jaws. Yeah, you know? yeah, of course. Um, of course. So anyway, there's there's a lot of really interesting trivial bits you could you could mine this with. Yeah, so uh w- one of the things that I'll bring to the table, um yes, there's I mean there's there's a glut of material. Um honestly, I think I said to you off pod that like there are some films where you kind of have to dig a little bit to find some material that's about their making of or whatever. I almost I mean, if there ever can be, I almost feel like there's almost too much about Jaws. And here I am, you know, sure, rec- yeah. recommending an Inside Jaws podcast, like another, you know, there, there's even more. But I just feel like there's so much. On the Blu-ray, at least the edition that I have, which I think there's a more current one, on the edition that I have, there is not one, but two feature-length documentaries about the making of it. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's like there's there's this glut of material that's been written about and that has been spoken to. But um, And most people know that it's based on a book. Um, so some of what I can maybe bring to the table is i have read the book you have you have not read the book right no no no, i have not i did i did play the nes game but i've not oh okay so well if you played the nas game that's practically like reading it so um (laughs) but but, so so basically um like there's some major beats that the the core story is there like the 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 movie is pretty faithful to the core narrative of the book um but there's some major differences specifically surrounding the character of hooper so most of the disparity in the book and the film either comes from characterizations that were reduced, dramatically reduced, or characters that were kind of discarded entirely. But the biggest character that is distinctly different between book and and film is the character of Hooper. Um, Hooper is a very sort of like he's like a womanizing, very slimy sort of personality in the book. Um, and he has an affair with with uh, yes, Brody's yes. wife. Yeah. In in the book, he has an affair with with Brody's wife, and they have a confrontation on the boat about it. Like it, it's never actually admitted. But so as a result, in you know, spoilers for the book, everybody. But as a result, when he goes down in that cage, um, in the book. Uh, the shark gets him because that's like a moment that the the you the reader kind of want him to get some comeuppance for all of this other stuff. So the so the shark actually successfully gets Hooper in that cage scene in the novel. But uh, so yeah, he, I mean his character is really not very likable, not very enjoyable. Completely averse to it's on my likes dislikes. Um, I just the moment Richard Dreyfus shows up, I just I I like him. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I yeah. enjoy him. <clears throat> he's uh, he's got some really funny lines. His whole characterization. He's just a really likable guy. Um, in the both in the film and as an actor. Right. Um, he's doing some very interesting stuff as an actor. I have a couple of notes to make there, but keeping with the whole book to movie comparison, Quint does die in the book, but I believe his death is is slightly different. The the shark doesn't just like eat him. But it's uh, but he dies slightly differently. I think his foot gets caught on something and he falls over. Or he he basically drowns. I forget exactly what what the details are. Um, but the one of the major one of the biggest major changes um, that maybe we can talk about as we get deeper into the film is the death of the shark. So the shark dies in the book, um, but. It is one of the it, so even when I read it and I read it after having seen the film, even when I read it, I'm kind of like, wow, this feels like almost not a Deus Ex Machina, not a like, oh, we just needed to stop, but 
the shark literally just like dies minutes from eating Chief Brody. Like minutes. Like he, he well, just how does it how he, does he it, die in the book? That's the thing. That's the thing is in the book he dies like he's pursuing Chief Brody and just stops and just dies. What? And now granted it's because they've been, you know, harpooning him and shooting him and everything. Yeah. He just dies. Like that's it. He just succumbs to the wounds that's, that they've been that's I know, weak. right? That's weak. No it's wonder weak. no wonder Predator took him out. <laughs> but it's like uh i mean like that's basically I, I mean you know there's a lot more done in the town in the in the novel like specifically there's a character uh who i mean his ba- basically has a cameo in the film but uh the newspaper editor like he and the chief have this extended uh sort of buddy relationship that's in the um in the book that is completely excised for the movie um so you, you know i mean like for character stuff there's lots of differences between book and film but yeah i i definitely prefer most most elements of this story, I prefer the film to the book, and it's rare for me to be able to say that. But this yeah. is this is random. But one more uh, random association I have with this movie is in high school. I you know I guess this is a confession or whatever. I was a big Kevin Smith fan of that era, and the movie oh. the movie Mallrats I saw probably thirty times, and has many homages to Jaws, like. Jason. I've never actually seen all of Mallrats. Really? Jason Lee's yeah. character is... I love how you said that while you're chewing your fingernails real cavalier. Like, why, why did you, you gotta... bring Mallrats into... The... You were like, mm, I've never seen Mallrats, Nathan. You, you What's brought, really interesting you is I'm up, actually You not... brought up Mallrats. You know, who really watches Mallrats? <laughs> What's really interesting is I'm actually not <laughs> chewing my fingernails. <laughs> oh, well, whatever it was you were doing just then. Um, um, but like Jason Lee's character's name is Brody in it. He's got a buddy named, oh, okay. he's got a buddy named Quint. Uh, Quint wants to marry his girlfriend on the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. So there's a lot sure. of. Anyway, never mind. I, I regret bringing it up. Wow. wow. <laughs> I merely commented that I had just not I seen know, all of Mallrats. I know. We'll get. Um, let's let's end back to the movie, everyone. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, we can dive in a little bit if you want to uh, to some likes dislikes because, like I said, I mean, we could go on and on about trivial information, but there's a, a wealth of places where you can find. I mean, just Google search jaws you're going to find more than you ever bargained for so uh in likes dislikes my number one with a bullet if you want to just volley a little bit is uh my number one is just like i said all of hooper just all of everything one thing i'll specifically praise that stood out to me this time around is some of dreyfus's choice choices as an actor um specifically as a reactor so a lot of actors are really good at emoting when they have lines but then when they're just when other people have lines, they're just sort of in the scene. But Dreyfus has some killer reactions. Like when the mayor is very adamant about like, no, you know, I, we, we need to keep the beaches open. And then his reaction, even as he's getting more and more furious, is like this distancing laughter kind of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's, that's really great. It's a great characterization. I love the reaction he has when he first sees the first shark victim, like when they're doing. Oh the, yeah. That's on he, my, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, and when he, I mean, his reaction is so believable and yes, natural yes. that he's, he's shocked, but still very professional because this is what he does. Um, well, and to add, to add to that, I think there's, there's a couple of, a couple of strong elements in that scene, not least of which is of course his performance, his reaction to the remains, but what a lesson in filmmaking. I mean, mm. Spielberg very definitively, decisively chooses not to show you 
what he's, yeah. what he's yeah. looking at in there. And, yeah. and as a viewer, again, we talk about this a bunch and specifically I'm thinking of vertigo. It came up, but you know, what is modern conventional storytelling and what is just intentional choice? I think this is intentional choice, but like we are, we are kind of, um, in that scene when Hooper is examining that that very small bucket that should not be able to house, you know, yeah, what remains yeah. of a human, um, you 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 have the impulse to kind of look over the the rim of the screen. You know what I mean? You right, you're, you keep right. you keep waiting for the cut, which is going to show mm-hmm. you what's in that bucket, yeah. and it never comes. All you get is this very human, very kind of compassionate uh, mm-hmm. response to what he's seeing, and I love yeah. the even even a lesser performance or or a lesser script or what you know pick pick your poison here would have him actually vomit you know something real yeah, demonstrative yeah, it right, is he is right. very composed he gets kind of you know his gorge rises a bit at it and he asks for some water he sips his water and goes right back to it it's a really great sequence oh yeah it's fantastic it's fantastic and my last little bit on on richard dreyfus just as a performer is yeah. uh his reaction, of course, to the reveal of the Indianapolis, uh, of the Indianapolis factoid about Quint. Yeah, um, yeah. Where he's, you know, he's he's worked himself up into this sort of half-drunken frenzy where he's just giggling and laughing about a, stu- a bunch of stuff. And then all of a sudden when Quint says, oh, that, you know, the tattoo I had removed was the, the USS Indianapolis. And Dreyfus just deflates. In this, but again, it's it's such a believable transition because you can see him, and this this is impressive to me. It's still impressive. You can see him as a character sobering up, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's an amazing thing to watch because lesser performers might have just sort of stopped and made a big almost guffaw moment of what he's doing, but instead he just very steadily and quickly sobers up, and I'm like, wow, that's I mean, Dreyfus impresses the heck out of me in this movie. He's just he's really really strong. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. I do think all three of them, to add to that, are, are just really. Oh it's yeah. A, yeah, it's a it's a great trio, and that the the bonding sequence of them in the cabin, kind of finally overcoming those sort of personal little grievances with each other, is a really strong scene. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love this. Is a pure technical note, and I'm not talking about the push in camera technique that Vertigo mastered, but. I love the sequence of Scheider sitting on the beach and the beach goers crossing the frame are what swipes to a new shot. Yes. That's just oh, a really, that's just, it's great. just a really, you know, that's one of those moments that, and this is me who at maybe one point in life aspired to this type of thing, but you know, so I'm pretty, I'm, I'm ambitious, but ignorant. Like you watch a sequence like that and you're like, that guy just knows what he's doing, you know, to be able to craft that craft, that kind of technique that really doesn't draw attention to itself. But then you start becoming aware of it. Like, Oh wow, this is really cool. You know, as a person crosses the frame, it swipes to a new shot. Anyway, I just really, it's very effective. Um, That entire sequence is just brilliant. Like the, the, the fake outs that he does when the, you know, boyfriend is playing with his girl, girlfriend and like, but you think, but because she's like laughingly panicked and she's like, ah, 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 and then like right, the panic right. that hits Scheider's face, like just everything about that sequence is really built to maximum suspense. It's fantastic. It's really fantastic. Well, you know, that would sort of be on my scares. It's as I mentioned earlier, in terms of things about this movie that scare me, have a little less to do with the last 45 minutes and more to do with that run of 
leading mm. up leading up to the departure you know leading up to them yeah, he- right. heading out but like that sequence is so just real life like mm-hmm. and and you know the the production choices of the sound design there you know the 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 real la- uh, lapping of water and splashes and you know murmuring voices on a beach and just you know you are geared up to anticipate something bad and they just draw sure. they just draw that scene out you know, just sort of oh. letting you ride the wave, as it were. Um, a couple other likes, dislikes here. One, <laughs> I did love the scene of Hooper and Brody arguing about Brody going out to the end of the boat to get his picture taken. Oh, you know, that's just that's just a really really fun comic bit. Um, yes, I wrote. How did those idiots expect to catch the shark with a pot roast? What um, with a pot roast? Yeah, the remember the dummies, the drunk dummies on the pier. Oh. Yeah, yes. I was like, oh, that's what it was. I remember thinking like, okay, you've baited it. How on earth do you think you're actually going to, you know what I mean? Like in a world. What are you going to do when you. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Anyway, that was, that was oh, really. Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. Silly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I, you know, I said a lot about Richard Dreyfus, but Robert Shaw is, is really doing some impressive stuff here too. I think it's funny because I, I think the performances across the board are really stellar. So let me let me just rattle off those lists and then I'll get to one sort of final likes dislikes category and we can move on. So the uh so I love the like Robert Shaw's levels and his layers. Again, I'm I'm impressed by how natural everything feels. Mm-hmm. All of these reactions feel like they come from real people doing real things as opposed to this is the moment where I'm supposed to say something kind of scary or this is the moment where I'm supposed to say something a bit dramatic. I mean, it it feels these characters feel like they've spent time, which is why, which is why it's even more impressive that the production was so troubled because the characters feel lived in. I mean, this is the kind of thing where after you see the film, you would expect to walk away and think like, oh yeah, those three people spent two months on a boat preparing and becoming friends and blah, blah, blah. Like it, everything feels very organic and very natural. Robert Shaw's Indianapolis speech. I love the moment with Brody at the dinner table and his son oh, and his, so great. his mirroring his uh his movements and everything and then i just love the simplicity of where he leans into his son and says give us a kiss and the and his son says why he says because i need it you know it's just all these small little subtle human touches really amp up this film's effectiveness because you genuinely care about these people you genuinely come to invest yourself in who they are and in the success of their mission but another thing that i would say is that there's just uh, an alarming amount of subtle touches that either foreshadow or undertone uh, some some pivotal elements of the film. I love that you know we we know what's going on. We know what the film is called. We know all of that sort of stuff. But the first time when they're they're looking at you know they found the first victim's body and then he's talking to the coroner and then you just see the words you know probable cause of death and he just types shark attack. I'm just like, I was I was blown away by how simple that whole little reveal is because right. I I believe if I was registering it correctly I believe that is the first time that a shark is remotely mentioned in the film is just when it says probable cause of death and he types shark attack and then there's another moment like when they're first embarking uh, he Quint and Hooper are embarking out to catch Bruce then when they're doing that which by the way the film never calls him Bruce that's just what he's become known as i think it well, was that's a name on set well, that, yeah that's what they called the the robot versions or the you know oh. the um, mannequin versions 
Yeah. Um, but when they're first going out, of course, the camera pans through these the uh, skeletal frame of another shark's jaws. Like yeah. it just, you know, the camera pans through that. And that's the way we witness their boat sailing out into sea. Another one that I mentioned to you, I think, uh, that really stood out to me this time around. Um, again, just a bit of foreshadowing is when the compressed air tanks get knocked over because Brody pulls the wrong rope. It's just a very sort of throwaway moment. But when the compressed air tanks go over and then uh, Dreyfus says, like, you know, if you mess around with these things, they could blow up. And then right after he says, if you mess around with these things, they could blow up. Quint, in an effort to tease Hooper and to kind of put Hooper down, is like, what is the shark going to do with those? Is he going to eat it? You know, yeah. and then, and I'm so impressed by how much they foreshadowed the resolution of the film. Right, just right, those right. three throwaway lines. That's it's funny. like, oh my gosh, that's, yeah. So, so there's a lot of, again, just effective little subtleties to the film. Uh, the film craft at work, whether belabored production or not, like the film craft at work is exceptional. And, uh, yeah, I well, mean, it changed cinema. You know, another scene that really hits hard is you know you've spent some time with brody up until this point and you kind of roy scheider has this kind of hangdog kind of weathered i know i'm dealing with something i don't really want to be dealing with vibe to him and the scene on the docks when they've caught the wrong shark oh yes and yes and there's such this sense of celebration that you as the viewer it's that dramatic irony idea right it's you as a viewer know there's there's no way this is right right um right. and and poi poor brody is so desperate to to buy in you know he oh he just yeah, really absolutely. wants this to be right um yeah. you know that's that's a really kind of heartbreaking scene and where he's discouraged you know like when he's listening to hooper you can f- sort of feel the internal turmoil of oh like, yeah yeah like you're right do, do we do this it's the way to it's the way to be sure but i don't really want to do this and like oh yeah no it's it's fantastic yeah it's really great do you want to move into scarce i don't but i will i know right there's an there's an abundance of them <laughs> um yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, that opening sequence with the girl out in the water is so scary. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I, I on air to him ribbed him and without him present have ribbed our, our good friend uh, and listener uh, Blake about his open fields. I mean, for me, open water, the ocean, like I have such a reverence and respect <laughs> and a you stay there, I'll stay here kind of. Sure, sure attitude and so yeah man being out in water like that at night under threat oh my gosh that opening sequence is so stinking scary and in fact what i wrote yeah, down right. I, I mentioned this already but the beach going scene with Scheider watching i said i'm experiencing so much anxiety watching this scene (laughs) the splashes the kids in the water the dog in the water people are trying to talk to him you know like all of that stuff i was like oh my gosh i'm so (laughs) heebie-jeebie yeah oh man it's yeah and you know so i'll make a somewhat uh as as a scare moment uh, i'll make a somewhat uh, uh like a side uh comment so it's interesting to me, the films came out roughly the same time. I think uh, I would need to look it up to be absolutely sure, but I'm thinking of way back in early episodes of The Fear of God, we did a series on John Carpenter, um, right. which I'm sure you remember, and hopefully the listeners do too. Um, no, 
actually, this this came afterwards. Uh, Carpenter's film came afterwards. So I was thinking specifically about Assault on Precinct 13. And s- small spoilers for Assault on Precinct 13. Carpenter came under a ton of criticism because a little girl uh, dies in Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, she's murdered. And it was just interesting to me because from what I understand, d- despite how absolutely brutally like it's it's a real gut punch when the kittner boy dies in Ugh, water when when geez. the shark gets the kittner boy but i remember i don't know why my mind went specifically here but i was like wow from what i know spielberg saw like no backlash from from having basically taken out a kid in his film but john carpenter in assault on precinct Tur- now granted in Assault on Precinct 13, the the girl is murdered by another person, and that's sure. very different than a natural accident right. and stuff like that. So maybe that maybe that had something to do with it. But anyway, that stood out to me, and all of that to segue into like scares moment is, I don't even know if it's really scares so much as just devastating. But when everybody comes in, like everybody's into the water, oh, and the one yes. standing right out is yeah. the kid and her mom like running around calling out for yeah. her boy, and it's oh, just God. Uh, it's it's heart wrenching. It's it's absolutely devastating. Um, well, and, and yeah. I wouldn't have noticed this, but in my reading today, it might be that it was 100% this. It might be that it was just more or less this. From what I remember my reading, Spielberg was insistent that no red be in the movie except for the blood of the victims. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. And, and, and wow. so that scene when he gets taken is, oh, my gosh. Oh, it's awful. I mean, it's yeah. just like this this explosion of gross Ugh. oh yeah no it's it's terrible and the shot itself i mean the the it, it's it's in the distance it's before right, that vertigo right. shot you keep referencing but it's in the distance you just kind of don't know what you're seeing almost uh, it almost just looks like the raft just turns over but you can see this sort of black shadow behind it yeah and it's uh, yeah it's it, it, it there is so much and by necessity again sort of dipping our toes back into trivial bits, that shark wouldn't work. Like the, the shark had so many mechanical problems, they couldn't get it to work for so many shots. So there were a ton of shots that were supposed to go differently. Right. But because, right. The, but because the shark wouldn't work, they had to do it in more subtle and suggestive ways, which most agree makes the film stronger, makes right, the film right, more right. effective because of what it suggests rather than what you outright see. And that's one of those moments where it's like the, the, the shot being way far in the distance and you just, you knowing, but more imagining what's happening right there is part of what's so heartbreaking and, and devastating about that whole sequence. Um, well, and to that point, to that point about the mechanical issues, one of the other elements I read too, was you're supposed to be able to see some of it in that shot with the girl in the beginning, but it was so problematic. She just on cables being pulled back and forth. Oh my gosh. Wow. And kudos to that actress, by the way, like we've mentioned before about how in horror films, there are a lot of actors who have like a two minute scene, but it's like, you have to convey a lot of believability in those two minutes. Right. And, and usually don't get a ton of praise because you are essentially treated like a prop, but yeah, huge kudos because she sells the heck out of that moment. Like she, she, you believe everything that's happening to her. I, and worse. I, te- I texted you this on the scares list. So I'm laying in bed. It's in the dark. My wife's asleep next to me. When Hooper is examining the wrecked hall submerged when he and 
Brody go out and the head of that guy floats into the frame. Oh my gosh. Yes. Reed, I went stiff oh. as a I went stiff as a board. I thought my I thought I was gonna wake my wife up. I mean, I totally <laughs> I totally was like, oh God. Oh, I mean, it I was not remembering that happening. It's and, so and awful. It, it got me. Oh man, it's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, I know it's it's a really scary moment, and I believe that it it was not always intended to be like a jump scare. I think it was intended to just be this kind of thing which scared Hooper, but not the audience. And I think uh, somewhere in the recesses of my brain, I believe after the score was already completed and after everything was already done, I think when they're watching a rough cut of the film with the score, I think Spielberg like pulled Williams aside and was like, I think we have another scare moment here. And he's like, when you, and I think again, I could be getting these facts wrong because I didn't research it before. This is kind of just a distant echo, but I think he got with Williams and was like, can you add some shrill spike to this, to this reveal? And, uh, and yeah, it does. It creates that effect where it's like, So, yeah. yeah, just like that. <laughs> just that, like that, that was the happened. noise I made. <laughs> <laughs> um, An- another. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you go. Um, another scare for me, and it was interesting because in my memory, I was mem- I was remembering it wrong. Uh, I remembered the very first time we see the shark being well after Quint and Hooper and Brody are on the boat, but the first time we see the shark is actually when he uh, gets the guy who's when he's in the pond. That's yes. the very first time yeah. that we see it. That's a great scene. And it is. It's a fantastic scene, but it's indelible in my mind as the kind of the big reveal when Brody is throwing the chum over and yeah. Yeah. he's yeah. looking back and so he's not seeing and then just and and here's what's great. I just said Spielberg got with Williams and added like a shrill thing to to jump scare that one moment. What I love about that moment when Brody is just throwing the chum over the water and then all of a sudden the big shark just emerges into the right, frame, right, just full right. bore and comes up, eats some of the chum and then just goes back down. There is no musical like a, a sure. low, a low little undertone begins, but it's not like a, you know, right, like right, it, right. it doesn't like a, force you to like jump. a what? Like a um, <laughs> so, but so basically, like when that when that happens, and of course it, it, the the whole sequence is effective. But you see the big shark's head, and then you see Brody's like leap great, back, yeah, and yeah. his reaction to it, and then of course the steady walk back, and that you know one of the most iconic lines in cinema history. We're gonna need a bigger boat. I mean, it's 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 brilliant. That moment, Bruce, you know, Bruce's big reveal. That is incredible to me it's one of my it's one of the three or four moments in jaws that always stands out to me whenever i think about the film is that scene where where the shark is first sort of seen right it's right incredible it's absolutely incredible well shortly after that is a note i wrote a scene a note to a scene that i wrote where i said if you have to strap yourself to a chair to reel a fish in it's probably not a fish you want to be reeling in yep. <laughs> oh my god Gosh, if you have to strap your body down. And how effective is that whole thing? They're sitting there. Hooper's off messing with, I think, you know, he's messing with something. And then Brody's practicing knots and stuff like that. I can't remember exactly what it is. But then, like, Quint is just steadily watching it and just eases himself into it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Like, there's there's some fantastic suspense uh, moments in the film. It's just so well-crafted. It's excellent. I'm going to stop gushing over this film eventually, but it's, Speak, it's speaking wonderful. of speaking of gushing. My <laughs> last my last scare is the Quint crunch is what I called it. Oh my gosh, I had forgotten and seem to always forget because the film is PG. 
I seem oh, to God. always forget. Really? I it's PG. That didn't well, click with me. You're right, no, right, 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 right. Yeah. PG-13 didn't exist, but um, but yeah, I mean, and and I can understand, like, it's not quite at our level. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I forget because it's PG, um, because occasionally I, d- I toy with the notion of like, oh, maybe when, you know, when my son gets a couple years older, like, maybe he can watch that. And then that Quint death scene always kills it for me. Like, as it's killing it kills him. kills him, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As it's killing him, it's killing <laughs> any desire that I have to show it to anybody else because it is so violent and brutal and heartbreaking because of how you feel about that character and just like it's... But at the same time, it's it's kind of awful because Quint's death is <laughs> is a lot of what the way the way you said that you were like it's so awful and it's terrible and then you're like but at the same time i thought you're gonna be like uh, he deserved to go you <laughs> well know? He, here's what's funny he, so, he lived out his days <laughs> well so no i mean not that he like i wasn't gonna go to like he deserved right, to go right, but right, that, right. that's in the ballpark because i'm like at the same time by that point and this is what's interesting about quint maybe this will show up again in themes but this is interesting about him is that at that point he has become so possessive of winning this battle yeah yeah that he is almost his own undoing like he smashes the radio when brody's trying to call for help you know he he doesn't uh want to go back towards shore like brody's like why aren't we drawing him back closer to shore instead of him drawing us further out to sea um you know and a lot of that is quince just stubborn possession of winning this battle with this shark um and so yeah not that he deserves what happens to him. He doesn't. But I do think, to a degree, he is kind of to blame, you know, his his stubbornness, not, not in total, but he's the one who inhibited any help getting to them. He's the right. one who inhibited them, drawing him closer to shore. All of these things that might have changed a factor that would have resulted in his survival. Um, so, yeah, it's all these emotions wrapped up into it. Because, again, it's a violent, gruesome death. Um, but you do care about Quinn. And the, the, the audio is pretty bad uh, i mean i don't know if you i don't know if you know this scream? but i did well i don't mean the scream i mean the the, the crunching this this squishy. oh yes um yes. but i don't know if you know this i did find out that um uh the serial captain crunch was debuted around the time of the <laughs> no because he's the captain he's the captain no <laughs> mr rouse Crunchberries. Um, oh. <laughs> You're going to need a bigger bowl. Oh, God, that's great. We're going to need a bigger bowl. How stupid and beautiful. Oh, it's funny. Ooh, um, we. Um, so, uh, I mean, after that, who are we to talk about themes? I feel like we're just, you know, I mean, like, it's kind so of true. It's kind irreverent. Oh, uh, but we're going to anyway. So, uh, let's do it. It's so part of the show. That's right. What you got for us, Nathan? Um, I had, uh, one that's uh, a little deeper than the other one, if you will, but neither are like fully. I haven't totally sunk my teeth into either of them yet. And maybe, uh-huh. we can, maybe we can, maybe we can do that together. So, <laughs> uh, one's kind of a metaphorical one. I, I wrote shark swallows people as bureaucracy swallows the truth. Mm. I just, I don't know. I kept the, they, the disheartening aspect of the mayor's insistence on all being fine. Right. Um, right. 
and that scene and it's it culminates with the infamous we haven't even talked about quint scratching the chuckboard moment but like the woman the 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 woman in her local small business and you know what's this going to do to the summer like i think there's something so distressing about in the face of disruption that harms in a face of disruption that possibly kills our concerns are less for the potential further harm and more for our status quo right like that's a really a really disheartening sort of thing to watch um one thing that yeah go ahead uh, i was gonna say and and i actually want you to continue with your theme but just an insertion there because one thing that i thought while watching the film is the mayor is not taking seriously a very viable threat and i do feel like as much as he's vilified in the film I do feel like he thinks, his character thinks, naive and obstinate as he is, his character thinks he's doing what's right, that he's doing what's best for the for the town because he's experiencing a lot of pressure uh, for, you know, money and all this other sort of stuff. So he feels like he's doing the right thing. And it's not and maybe that's being too generous to the character. But um, I do get a sense that, well, because he says and this is, again, the humanity in this movie is is incredible because he says to Brody uh, the final line of the mayor, like then the mayor exits the film, not because his character dies, but we just don't see him again, is when Brody is insistent that he signed the commission to get Quinn. And then he says, you know, Brody, my kids were on that beach too. I mean, that's really what tilts me to like thinking like he did not take this threat seriously. You know, this is not something that he really believed and he believed he was doing what was right and best um, all the while, like blatantly ignoring what was really in front of him. And there's probably a lot that could be unpacked there, but um, I think that that the film could have vilified him in worse ways than it actually does. Sure. So, so another potentially disparate thematic idea but who knows maybe we'll find some some interesting and profound ways to link these two notions so there's a pair of scenes in the movie one after the other that really it isn't just that the scenes kind of moved me it's their their juxtaposition their sequence of one following the next that really stood out to me so i am going to set it up okay and then see if we can talk about it because i honestly don't have much articulated or written down beyond the setup but honestly it hasn't really left me and i've been trying to figure out ways to make it more to find the words for what the feelings are behind it so you talked about the heartbreak of kentner mother on the beach mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. when she re-enters the story uh once once they have the not bruce captured right and the town the townspeople are celebrating mrs kentner in full black, black veiled, uh, whose son has just been murdered and devastatingly so by not this shark, but she thinks, you know, we found it. She approaches the revelers and, and Brody specifically, and she slaps him. Yeah. And it's a very jarring moment. And her line is, you know, you knew there was a shark. You knew it was dangerous and you let people go swimming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a very powerful scene. And it, and it's, it it's, uh, you, you can tell he is arrested by this moment. And, but the, but that dialogue, I want to come back to, you knew there was a shark, you knew it was dangerous. You let people go swimming. The immediate next scene read is Brody's son 
mimicking him. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was so struck in that moment of like, our children, our children mimic us by what they see us do. Mm. I'm going to connect it back to that prior scene. He chose to not alert people. Right. Right. And it, and just this notion of how we emulate to our children, how we, what, how what we don't call out can be as detrimental as what we do call out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it really felt profound. And again, I'm hoping between the two of us, we can come up with some more flesh on these bones, but you, you referenced it, but the intimacy and the urgency and the humanness of the moment of his little son copying every physicality that was immediately on the heels of you didn't do this one thing. Thus, I can't copy you if I don't know you do it. Oh, does that make sense yeah, at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. like, if we as adults, if we as people of faith, if we as fathers aren't naming the sharks mm -hmm. and warning those of the danger, are we then going to inadvertently pass along an, an ignorance itself? Sure. Sure. Does that make sense no, I at think, all? Oh, uh, again, no, absolutely. It's, it's so, feels, it feels like the germ of an idea, but. No, no, I think it's. Uh, so there's a couple of things that's firing off in my mind that um, it, it's convicting in one, on one hand to think about the fact that your children will mimic what they see you do. Yes. But it is, it is also perhaps equally convicting, if not more so to realize that if you don't do it, then they won't do it. Right. And, right, and so in other right. words, like we may think in our minds, Oh man, that's a terrible attitude for that person to take. But if you don't, as you, in your language, name the sharks, if you don't like, hey, don't go swimming over there because that's, there are, it is dangerous and it is full of predators. Um, like if you don't call out the, the dangers, if you don't, yeah, I just like your language. I think listeners will get the metaphor. If you don't name the sharks that are in the water, then the kids are just going to think it's safe and they're just going to go running into it. And even more so than that, they're not going to warn other people. They're not going to fight it. They're not going to be equipped. It's, it's a, it's a convicting thought to recognize that like, you know, I'll bring it out of the metaphor and say like, yeah, if you, you may not, you may look at a, at something happening that is uh, racist or sexist or or misogynistic or you may you may look at any number of things that you're like that's not right it's not right for that person to do that but if you don't if you're silent about it if you're quiet about it then chances are pretty strong they will likely be quiet about it they will likely maybe even god forbid adopt the passive complacency and passive endorsement of allowing these things to continue to to foster and if right, you right. if you don't um if you don't basically take the the consistent and and right and moral stand in as many areas as possible then yeah you're kind of you're kind of indoctrinating your children whether you're actively doing it or not yes Yes, and yes. Uh, so might as well be mindful of what's happening. Well, and I guess let's talk a minute about that, because I think the reason I felt like I kept hitting a wall in the thought process was 
you know, in in this in this story in the movie, uh, the shark in question is a literal shark. It is a murder machine. It's it's eating people. Well, so so it stands to reason that you could make a pretty blanket case. This thing is worth naming and calling out. And yet, there are people in the same story who see the exact same evidence and choose to believe certain opposing ideas. Yeah. You know, whether, whether it's, oh, it's a barracuda. Don't, don't call it a shark captain or chief. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or then, oh no, look, here's the, here's the real one. We, we found it. It's good. It's all good. Everybody's happy and good. Like, I think what I'm trying to wrestle down here and struggling with is when you read lackey, when I and Nathan Rouse to our children have the impulse and the conviction of spirit and the, what we would think and, and, and probably stand behind is the, the rightness in doing so of naming a shark that then others may be able to say, well, let's, let's look at it a little different way that, you know, to you. Yeah, I, I get it. That, that looks like a shark to you, but blah, blah, blah. Mm. Does it, is this making sense? Oh, absolutely. At all? Yes. Absolutely. And I, and I, I think, I think I don't, I don't want to chalk it up to, well, there's diplomacy and you got to look at things from all different angles because dude, sometimes a friggin' shark is a friggin' shark and it's out to eat you mm. and your loved ones. And I, I want to be sensitive to nuance. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Is this making any sense at all? Like, like, I think what I'm wrestling with is what to one person is a giant man eating shark that all who want, who value their lives should avoid to another person. It's well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Let's just, let's just let it keep swimming and and we'll all be okay. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't. It's funny. It does make sense to me, and and as such, I don't know that I necessarily have more commentary to add to it because I think it's a very, I think it's a factual condition where if you're, well, I, I'll do this. Um, let me let do me it. actually uh, let me actually bring in a scripture verse here because this is something that I don't think we've used on the show before, but is something that I think is is prescient for this moment. There's a concept that shows up primarily in Ezekiel chapter three, and then again in Ezekiel chapter thirty three. But uh, it's it's this concept of the watchman in biblical times specifically in Ezekiel mm. there was someone who was supposed to stand guard uh, along the wall of the city and keep watch when danger was coming in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 17 uh, I'm going to read two verses here this is what it says uh, the Lord is speaking to the prophet and he says son of man I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me when I say to a wicked person you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you, this is the key point, I will hold you accountable for their blood. And this is the part that has, about the watchman, that has always convicted me, is what, how I read that scripture and what I basically hear is it saying like, hey, if you don't warn them, then they aren't the only ones who will suffer consequence for what eventually happens. Because I will hold you accountable for the fact mm. that I that there there was warning there and you didn't deliver it. Um, so again, it's this idea. If you're looking at Jaws, it's like you knew there were sharks, you knew right. they were dangerous, and you let people go swimming. Um, so I'm I'm sensitive. So this is potentially going to open up a bit of a can of worms. I'm going to try to be be very sensitive to this notion. Open that can. <laughs> um, I think there is a balance. I think there is a requirement for discernment. But I think that sometimes 
things can tilt, I'm going to identify two conditions and try to be as unambiguous as possible. There are situations in life, in the world, where when you call out a danger, let's say, when you call out a danger, um, it is very easy, and I will use the words, the, the trigger words, slippery slope, when you are calling out a danger, it is usually a, a couple of inches of attitude from judgment, depending on what you're calling out. Because a lot of times there can be a very uh, sort of emboldened attitude of like basically the mayor and the people is like, hey, uh, we have responsibilities or we have like we see it this way. We see it a different way. We're going right. to go. Right. And we're just going to do this thing. Um, so because we see it diff- like I think about our political arena. And it continually. There you me. go. Well, the, here's the thing. It, <laughs> I'm prob- kidding, probably I'm not where you're expecting me to go, listeners. But I, I don't know. Um, but it continually bothers me. What continually frightens me is a the division, but also b the fact that the people who hold their disparate positions almost equally believe their disparate positions to be the factual reality. Right. And the the disconnect between those two versions of reality is terrifying to me. One says like, Hey, no, this is, there's no shark or it's not a big deal. And the other one is like, you've got a bite radius of a great white out there that is going to consume you. And so, so on one hand, I'm like, it is a slippery slope when we begin calling out danger that we can get very judgmental and you get into this conflict between like, you're calling out a danger. Other people are saying there's no danger. We're going to continue on in this path at the, at the same notion, sort of the flip side of that is, I think it is also possible to be so afraid if you will, I don't know if fear is really the driving force, but to be so resistant to speaking up, as it were, that then you do become like passive to it. Then you do become the the Brody who's like, I saw that danger there. I should have fought harder, but it's too late now. Like it's too late to do something about it now. It's too late to say something about it now. And so all of that sort of, I'm sort of identifying a complicated dynamic and then saying what I believe is necessary is I believe it's necessary to try to be discerning about something, but I think we need to foster more taking certain situations seriously, as it were. Sure. Um, being mindful of the fact that... Oh, man, I, my brain is here. Listeners, I apologize if this is like trigger conversation, but my brain is here. So I'm just going to go there. Uh, show me some grace. We're exploring. We're not explaining. It's, it's complicated in the fact that we had this atrocity. I will call it an atrocity, and I won't apologize for that, of children being separated from their parents at the border. Sure. That's, an, that's an atrocity. It should never have happened. That's that's on the left hand. On the right hand, it is reported uh, by, you know, Washington Post. Uh, it was verified that because of a deficiency in the vetting and scrutinizing process, um, it is probable that thousands of human traffickers got away with people that weren't related to them. Uh, because there was not this level of scrutiny. And, and, and so what I'm identifying by calling out those two very painful subjects is that it's a complicated issue. It's a, it's a problematic thing. And on one hand, you have to take seriously, hey, we can't, we can't go 
to the place where we separate kids from their families. Like we can't do that. At the same time, uh, we have to be mindful and diligent of other realities that are going on at the same time. Because unfortunately, I'll say this to bring it back down to Jaws. Bruce, the great white may not be the only shark in the water. It may not be the only threat in the water. And it may be the biggest one with the biggest bite radius. And it may be the problem that you've got to solve in this story, but it may not be the only threat out in the water. And sometimes uh, it's imperative that we take seriously the things that we are seeing and noticing, or that might be realities at play and not simply accept one singular version of what story is being played out here. I know that may sound convoluted to our listeners, but I'm just saying, I'm just thinking in this context of if you entrench yourself so far on one side of the narrative, then you are going to be ignoring potentially a a whole subsection of other dangers and threats and not taking them seriously. And then you'll get caught on that other side to where it's, in other words, I'm thinking of there's two dangers at play here. You've got the very real danger of this is the shark that is going to, eat people if you don't stop this but the mayor's not lying about the town depending on its economy for its summer season like he's he's not lying about that and you know it's one of those things where it's like yeah if they had cut off the feeding frenzy and if they had killed the shark and or you know if they had cut off the feeding frenzy and just made the shark go away i wonder if brody would have been reelected. For sheriff, for sheriff, you know, because he would have crippled the economy and he would have saved lives. But who would have known? Do you see? Do you see what I'm scratching at when I say that? It's like if he had done the right and good thing, he would have saved lives. But who would have known that there was a very real threat there? And they would have adopted this other narrative of Brody's the guy who shut down the beaches for a nothing whim. And and, uh, you know, there wasn't any real threat out there. Um, yeah, but I guess I guess I guess. And, and this is just you know, kind of the way my brain tends to work. I, I think I'm, uh, and, and admittedly this, I, I, it's, it's possible this hasn't happened enough to me for me to understand the ramifications of even what I'm saying, but I'm so not a fan and this isn't what you're saying. I'm just sort of interpreting a little bit of what I heard there. Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm so not a fan of maintaining a system just because it's what we've done. In other words, like, like I think disruption to a system can be a worthwhile effort. In other words, in this case, our allegiance to our economies, pick whatever it is, you, you know, the thing that we've always done blinds us often to important, necessary, sometimes dangerous disruptions that merit perhaps abandoning that system and economy. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, no, I, 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 well, and I think what's what's hard is like, you know, and here on your attempts to sort of sort of juxtapose some some immigration talk there, I think what's frustrating is I really I personally just pine for a certain kind of simplicity that I don't know doesn't exist, but may not exist as much as I want it to. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, but I don't know. And this is why I was able to just conjure the launch pad for a thought and not a a robust essay in and of itself, because there are shades and there are angles that are, are, that merit our consideration. But even then that Watchmen story you referenced, like, yeah, that's, that is pretty cut and dried. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is. And I think, I think that's what sucks. 
And it's hard sometimes as a person of faith who tries to live arms, heart and eyes wide open to, to be able to recognize, Hey, there's a shark there. Um, okay. Well, y'all aren't hearing me or listening or caring. Okay. Well, there's a shark. Okay. You're not hearing, listening or caring people. Hey, everybody, people are frigging getting eaten. You know I mean? Oh, like yeah, no, that is that, that feeling just persists so often, uh, with a lot of what goes on with the world. And I, I think for me, it's about, cause the image that was conjured when you were talking about what you were talking about was there are times I'm worried. There are too many of us yelling too many things. Sure. And yeah. And, and one, it's no wonder we're all getting eaten and or drowning. Right. And or right. getting trafficked because none of us will shut up mm-hmm. um, as two people with microphones in front of our faces. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think there's something powerful about the notion. And who knows? Maybe maybe I'm extending my own metaphor here. But like there's a there's such a, a, a difference. Our children can't intuit. Okay, well, I could end the sentence there. Our children can't intuit. Uh, uh, they 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 mimic what they see. Mm-hmm. They they don't often have the the abstract thinking skill to comprehend, you know, kind of complex thoughts and feelings and patterns of behavior. So so that's hard to teach. But what's interesting about the story and in this notion of calling out the sharks, what is the difference between a bunch of people yelling about a shark and something that's actually fruitful Brody Quint and Hooper go after the shark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and hear me, I'm not like embrace the metaphor, oh, <laughs> not course. the literal, no, of course, you know, course. like, and, um, to someone hearing it thinking, what are you, what are you suggesting, Nathan? <laughs> well, so let me, at, at the risk of cutting off a, a potentially unformed, no, so, no, so I'm, I'm, think about this. And this is kind of what I'm saying is for, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll reference the line, in the actual movie. I'll actually reference this. He goes out there. They take the boat. They take the orca. They go out there. And the first time they see the thing, we're going to need a bigger boat. I think sometimes we can cry shark, 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 shark. But the other difficulty at play is that the problem is way bigger than we ever imagined it would be. And that, okay. and, yeah, and that, I can buy that. When, you, when, when we oversimplify it. I think that that's when we run the other danger where it's like, again, to use the line from the, like, we really need a bigger boat. We really need to call for help. We really need, we are, we are out here. Like, it's great. We're out here, but we, it is almost a matter of pure chance that Brody's able to, to get the best of sure. that shark. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think there's something very, I, I, I read a little bit in some analysis about the fact that there's, you know, there's some metaphor of Brody being sort of the common man and all of these problems and Hooper representing science and Quint kind of representing spiritualism or religion. And what really sort of gets right to it is the, is the common man, the common people. I read a, a, a critical analysis of jaws that that was kind of the metaphor it was scratching at. I don't know if I fully buy that, that whole hog, but I think one one thing that I feel in most issues when they arise, I do feel like there are very simple things we need to adhere to. There is a shark. It's too dangerous. Don't go swimming till we till we recognize what's going on. I think those kind of things can be simple. But I think what what get what hangs us up is that then we get to the solutions and we say of the solutions, oh, yeah, this is a really simple solution when the fact is the shark is way bigger than we Right, we imagined right, it would right. be. No, I can 
get behind that. And so yeah. that's kind of that's kind of you know whittling down some of what I was scratching at is that it's like yeah we we may be able to look on either side of the fence and be like that's atrocious we can't have that we can't have this but at the same time I often feel very almost disgusted and at the very least frustrated by some of the reductive solutions quote you know in air quotes the listeners can't see solutions that are posited um and it's like uh, that the shark is bigger than that like we need a bigger well and to to follow the metaphor a little bit like this is kind of just occurring to me but it's not like they go out and just kind of a, a good harpoon shot or two takes it down i mean the amount of energy and work and different tactics Mm -hmm. they execute to to even try to figure out if they can do this yeah um but one of the most telling is they have to expose it they have to surface this thing Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really powerful metaphor to consider as we either a consider ourselves or b desire to be that watchman on the wall you have to be able to verify absolutely the 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 problem through multiple means of of you know uh, uh I, I don't know exactly what i'm trying to say there but you know you, oh, does that I make love sense it. at all like it. you you got to yeah, you got to expose you got to expose it before you can figure out how to destroy yeah, it yeah and we've we've said know. a similar thing uh to that on the show before that it's like yeah you've got to bring it you've got to bring it up to the surface you've got to bring it into the light you can't let it hide you can't let it continue to go in because that's really what the danger is the danger is that people are going to go out into places where they can't see the danger right Right. They can't see what's really going on. And because of that, yeah, you have to surface it. You have to make it rise. And then when you make it rise, then you can at least at least know how big it is that you're dealing with. And look at this. Sure. Like, yeah, Brody manages to to destroy the shark, but the boat doesn't make it. Quint doesn't make it. Right. Like, there's a lot of casualties along the way. And there's and there's three sequels. Did he really destroy the shark? <laughs> he destroyed that one, but you know, later sequels are like, "That's my cousin." Um. So anyway, I, I don't know if you had more to say on that. I think you know. I, did, I, I don't. I think we've come to a kind of a place where we can kind of wind it down. Um, yeah. That. Uh, yeah. I, I would say. Yeah. You've got to. You've got to bring stuff to the surface. You need a bigger boat. Tell people there are sharks in the water. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. th- those are those are prescient points on all on all fronts. Um, so I think it's time now we can bring in uh, our good old uh, David O's pumpkins on good old Jaws. <laughs> uh, you want to explain to the listeners what that's all about? David S. Pumpkins, uh, a.k.a. Bruce S. Pumpkins, is our own fear of God metric that we stole from SNL but <laughs> adopted into a, uh, a form of rating system by three different columns, that of style, scares, and substance. How much we thought of the film, how much the film scared us, how much is going on in the film. Um, we do this on a ranking of zero to five with Havsies counting, uh, starting with style read on Steven Spielberg's Jaws. What would you give it for style? Oh man, it's a five for style. It's one of the easiest yeah. fives. Like, I mean, it's crazy. This film, we we talked for a while, and I feel like it's so, we so shortchanged it because I think we could talk for three hours about just how we just need this is. we need a bigger podcast. We need a bigger podcast. That's exactly right. So yeah, yeah five yeah, yeah. for me for style. Um, I, you know, it's to not give it a five feels just a little like, like you're going to be that guy. So I'm going to give it a five. <laughs> I, I, will, right. I will give it five. Uh, uh, for, for scares, I think for me personally, 
there are quote unquote better horror movies. Uh, there are few that tap into a very elemental fear that plagues me personally. Sure. So I am giving this movie a five. Oh yes, absolutely. It's a five for me for scares too, because like, man, it is, uh, it is terrifying. I mean, so many of those shots, we, we rattled off a whole laundry list. It's, it's terrifying. Very, very effective. Now, what about substance for you? So substance is a little, a little more difficult. I still think there's a lot there. The metaphors are really strong. Uh, the ability to sort of dissect and unpack things. Um, uh, you know, I don't know why I'm not giving it a five, but something instinctually just says a four and a half. So I'm going to give it a four and a half for substance. I'm going to join you. All right. So it's like if there's anything that that, that would be sort of like a, eh, it's like well I think you have to work a little bit for the metaphors but but yeah, yeah. but they're they're present and uh, my friend uh, that brings us to a hearty nine point five out of ten David S pumpkins that is that's beyond solid that's you're gonna need a that's... bigger rating system that's <laughs> like... oh, wow oh man it's and that joke has worn out as well when you've done too many you're gonna need a bigger in your podcast is when it comes up and then there's a <laughs> <laughs> and it's over <laughs> episode oh over. my gosh so um well read yeah. that's the first episode of hashtag monster mash we are doing it we are trucking through not every movie we cover from the monster mash list is a winner on that list right but it is from the last two weeks i believe yeah so the last the top eight uh, of each category we are picking though some of those to cover yeah. starting today with jaws next week um with a certain helicopter themed movie <laughs> um so reed thank you this has been fun oh, I, I, I i you know we we need to crack out the 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 wrestlemania nintendo 64 I'm, I, I, um, I don't feel like doing that because no i mean it i don't know come on that could be fun let's, let's play you mario know, just, kart instead if we do that okay. we have to play mario we'll kart, do that so. yes we will do that that's <laughs> that's likely more fun anyway um well here at the fear of god uh i'm not even gonna try that do the thing take us out so uh, as we say working. on every episode the begin the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but it is not the end of the conversation and uh stay tuned to our social media cues to learn where you can join in on the conversation and as always nathan thank you so much for having this conversation with me and just for being you for all those years of friendship oh thank you reed guys we <laughs> will see you next week bye guys Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.